Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Stephen. And I'm Helen. We look back at the local elections. And we ask, how is life different if you're in a small party? Stephen, do we have to talk about the local elections? Yes, they're an exciting, important event with lots of implications for how people are governed locally. And also, you know, they give us some window into voter behaviour. Okay, I'm going to tell you what my takeaway was and you tell me whether or not it's true. Conservatives did really badly, so what they ended up with over a thousand councillors lost. Yeah, significantly more, like a thousand three hundred or something. Uh, which was a bad night for them. Labour had a bad night. Yep. I mean, I would say on a, like what like a seven out of ten bad. The, the the real difficulty with assessing Labour's performance, right, is because of how bad the Conservative one is, right. So, viewed in a vacuum... Okay, did they just sink less fast than the Conservatives in some places and therefore got some seats that otherwise they might not have got where there weren't other parties nipping at their heels? Is that what you're saying? No, it's it's not so much much that, right? It's that we essentially, right, we know that in general what happens in a local election as opposed to a general election is that broadly people feel more able to protest against the government because it's free. That's in many ways not true in terms of actually local government does do quite a lot of important stuff, but people feel in it's a free hit against the national government. So people are more likely to kick the government. However, usually there comes a point of kicking at which point we go, wow, they really, really want to kick the government. And 1,300 is well in excess of... I mean, it's such a big number that it's quite literally 300 more than the number that the Conservatives plucked out of the ether because they didn't think that they could possibly lose that many. So the the difficulty is, is when you're presented with a figure where you go, well, all things being equal, I wouldn't expect that party to remain in office. And then you look at a figure from an opposition and you go, all things being equal... I'd kind of assume you're just going to flop about and do as poorly as you did last time. I fail to win. But this is the great... And then when you put them together, you yeah. kind of go, OK, well, probably... But this is the great Jeremy Corbyn, Theresa May story, isn't it? You see it when they face each other at PMQs. You see it in the poll ratings about who's the best leader. They are uniquely kind of... They're like trapped in this sort of twin star orbit of uselessness where both of them are, you know, have some support but also repel a significant chunk of the electorate. Yeah, I also think... like. If I were to go through, which I at some point will this week, if I were to go through the various explanations that if I were a Conservative minister or a Labour front bencher, that I might pray in aid to get me through a difficult news interview, then the, the reasons why Labour are doing bad, 
that are non-terrible for the Labour Party might not be true, but are at least plausible. Like, so the best case scenario you can come. Okay, so what's your you what's your line there. to take then if you're a Labour minister coming out and looking at those results? I think like the the line to take is this shows that people clearly do not want the Conservatives anymore and have lost patience with them at a local level. They are more able to experiment with you know saying, I really care about the environment, I really care about Brexit, I really care about both, I really care about whatever the respective independents mean. In a general election, we are still the only lever that you can pull to get rid of the Conservative Party. So, I mean, I wouldn't advise it because it's going to annoy the people who voted at Green Room, but ultimately those people will come crawling back. Yeah, uh, I can't really imagine Ethorbs taking to the airwaves to say yeah. that somehow. Yeah. Whereas if you're a Conservative, right, the best non-stupid argument you can put on those figures is people really hate us, but they aren't yet willing to pull the lever that they know gets rid of us. Now, the reason why I think that is more worrying is that it is quite difficult, I would argue, to see how that could change. Right? Whatever happens, you either have a Brexit which is going to be declared a betrayal and will disappoint a large chunk of Leave voters because it is a fake Brexit and will well, disappoint I mean, a large yeah. chunk of Remain voters because it is... A Brexit. A Brexit. Mm. Plus, of course, the various problems in the public realm, the difficulty of not having a majority, making it harder to fix any of those, etc., etc., and, and so forth. On the Labour side, right, there is a perfectly plausible argument, A, that almost all political movements, I'm sure there is a counterexample, but almost all political movements in the social media age struggle to port over from a person to a party. And... The story of Corbynism, both in internal elections and in council elections, is it has struggled to get that rising tide when it's not defend Corbyn from internal coups, elect Corbyn in a general election. Do you know I was smiling at you earlier? Yeah. Because I, for some reason, on Twitter saw someone... You know the Facebook page, Stephen Bush memes for Facebook-loving teens? Yeah. There's a picture of some people playing Guess Who? And it's uh, the clue is, has a significant personal vote? And it's someone knocking over Douglas Carswell? Yeah, I saw it and it brought a great deal of joy I mean, I really, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure everything, every single bit of was it Stephen Bush memes for new states when I'm in teens yeah. is is wondrous but that one particularly cheered me up okay so I'm going to say 10 out of 10 bad for the Conservatives 7 out of 10 bad for Labour Change UK did not stand did not stand but was it yeah so Lib Dems Lib Dem fight back well I mean the thing is the Lib Dems have had now two back to back very good local elections a very poor set in 2017 and uh, alright-ish kind of middling one in 2016 but the 2016 and the 2018 results both had an asterisk. And it's just like, OK, this is a sign of recovery with some green shoots suggesting genuine growth, but it's mostly just recovery. Now, the thing about this result is they, A, you know, kind of were a successful revanchist force, but they also did very well in places they had ne- not done well in before. Like? Chelmsford, Bale of Whitehorse. That's not a real place. It is a real place. The other interesting thing is at a local level, the pact that Vince Cable's local party had with the Greens in Richmond, which he took a lot of flack for internally, which obviously worked in Richmond. Hang on, what happened in Richmond? Last time around, in last oh, year, when okay. they went from like 15 or something similarly derisory to, to being A, back in control in Richmond, but back in control with a kind of like a very, very strong Lib Dem presence on Richmond Council, worked very well for the Lib Dems and also obviously worked very well for the Greens. They both did well in places where they were not cooperating with one another, but they both did even better in places where they were. 
Okay, then I'm going to float something because yeah. one of the things that was talked about before these elections, and I'm sure we'll we'll get further data points in the European elections on. I'm going to say May the twenty third. Yep. Yeah, is how much space is there for the smaller parties? They do all seem to be doing pretty well at the moment after a 2017 election in which the two main parties combined got over 80 percent of the vote. Is there enough room in the political landscape for all of them, or are they just going to have to are they going to have to merge? Well, I mean that's kind of one of the interesting questions that the 2019 euros are going to answer for us. Well, we'll we'll partially answer, right? Now, there obviously is enough space for the Liberal Democrats and the Greens. And also, in terms of the, is there enough space, is the kind of unspoken follow-up question is, well, what is it that, that those parties want? And you would obviously get different answers from different people in that party, right? If, say, your aim as the Green Party is to become the electoral home of the whole of the environmental movement, or at least the overwhelming part of it. So you become a much bigger party, which can, for example, contain within its walls, obviously it contains a bit, this a bit within its walls, but just bear with me, contains within its walls everyone who believes that we need to have zero carbon, including people who believe nuclear power is part of the answer in terms of our energy now it, that's a perfectly reasonable that is i i think nuclear i mean i'm not saying and i think it's a my, my point is more than, reasonable position at the take. moment the green party you know they are successful as a kind of electoral equivalent of a carbon tax right they are a thing that voters who are worried about the environment can say to the main party Look, i i want you to improve and the way i'm signaling i want you to improve is is to vote for this they're not a party which has realistic hopes or aims of taking power and being a major party that runs national government. Now, if the aim of the minor parties is to be coalition partners, to be ways that voters send a message, then, yeah, I think there probably is reasonable space for, well, there definitely is space for the Greens and the Lib Dems to coexist as separate entities. The kind of question that change rises, right, is that they are explicitly set up to solve the problem of the two parties which can form a government being in the view of its founders unfit to occupy that position which means their metric for success is quite a lot higher right i mean if you grade them as a you know are they going to be like the remaining version of ukip i mean they launched and the labor party went actually maybe we will back some kind of second referendum mm. obviously the, the second very much the mirror image of david cameron seeing douglas yeah. carswell and mark reckless leaving and kind of being spooked about that yeah, yeah. so on, so on that metric of course they they were succeeding then of course their own difficulties have meant that the the threat of oh you better back a second referendum or change will eat you is no longer at the moment as plausible a threat as it seemed but the thing is, if, if you kind of grade it on the aim of like, well, what do I, what, 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 do, what does someone think is a reasonable ask for a minor party? Yeah, of course, there's space for them to do that. But if you grade it in terms of what they talk about privately wanting to do, well, by definition, there's not space for that. Their own stated aim, indeed, we've now all seen that thanks to the leaked memo that, that made it to the mail, is essentially first to destroy the Liberal Democrats as a viable concern. And then from from that position of strength, where you uh, you have all of that that centre vote, to move on to do the same to the other two political parties. And I think the big problem for them, which was always a risk in these local elections and one they couldn't ever really avoid, but it's a risk that has come to full fruition, is that any talk of the Liberal Democrats being destroyed as a force, I just think is laughable. 
at this point. I just think if you have that many councillors, they're realistically they're not going to lose all of their MPs at the the next election. Even if they were, they would just still have a huge level of local infrastructure. It's just I think implausible this idea that you can you can go. We've eliminated the Lib Dems from outside. Now we're going to move on to other things, which means that you then have to, in Change UK's shoes, if they want to make any kind of go, it start to talk seriously about some form of, of pact or alliance. Now, the difficulty is, is because the Lib Dems have done so well, unless they can pull off something really very impressive in a very short amount of time, you know, in what, two weeks or whatever it is till the 23rd of May, they are going to now be entering those discussions in a position of intense weakness and one in which it is not certain that Liberal Democrat activists would vote for an alliance with them. I mean, I wouldn't go too far with that. Yeah, I think the, the biggest cheer Vince Cable had at his launch of his Euro campaign was when he talked about the need to work with other parties, right? That is a huge value for you know, for large uh, numbers of, of Liberal Democrat activists. But um, yeah, I think it is quite hard to work out where the available real estate is right you've got a an environmental party which uh, has succeeded in this set of elections well beyond even the wildest dreams of the people involved in it i was talking to lots of people who thought they were going to have a good night but by a good night they meant maybe they would gain 10 to 50 seats very much they gained quite a lot more than 10 to 50 seats you have a liberal democrat party which is clearly able a to to win over disgruntled remainers but more importantly in terms of the long-term health of the liberal democrats right so there was a lot on local election night of people who, who clearly do not listen to the ns podcast and as a result they're are wrong are wrong you know hugely overreading the sunderland local council election results somewhere where we know uh, there have been long-term problems with uh, that administration having been seen, I, I don't know what I'm saying, having been seen as incompetent, right? They haven't been seen as Ofsted having uh, found their child services inadequate two years out of three. That did happen. They haven't been seen as having one of their councillors caught in a child protection sting. That did happen. And a uh, you know, I think you'll find from yeah. correcting me last time. Yeah, okay, so that's, yes, okay, so that's, there were some bad, some bad takes were had on the, on um, the local elections. But that all shows that the Liberal Democrats can still do the main ingredient of survival and growth as a third party in a terrible electoral system like ours, which is being able to win partly through an alliance of your values, but also through being able to win by going, have you noticed your local council is a bit rubbish? I think there should be some kind of there's some kind of physics problem about the fact that the creation of Change UK has sort of in some ways obviated the need for Change UK, that just by their very existence they've sort of slightly made themselves redundant. It's a kind of great paradox weird thing is is right that's always the, the always the nature of political competition right is that you you try and work out painless ways of uh, denying space to your rivals so the free posts have started to arrive because the uh, spending cap for your elections is so low they will obviously be a huge part of the campaign and you know the really interesting thing right is like the lib dem le- leaflet right which basically goes we're the biggest anti-Brexit party, vote for us and we'll stop Brexit, and also we're really into climate change, which is obviously a really subtle way of saying, without denigrating the Greens, going, look, if you're flirting with the Greens, don't worry, we're into that too. The existence of that leaflet doesn't doesn't obviate the need What does the Conservative leaflet say? The Conservative leaflet is so Is it just a sad puppy crying? goes, vote for the Conservatives, someone has to. It's basically the kind of like, look, I don't like it either, (laughs) like weary parent to kids 
in the back of the car of leaflets. It basically goes, we don't want this either. Voting for us is the only way of symbolising that you want a Brexit deal and for this to be over. Which, I mean, given their very limited freedom for manoeuvre, I think is a fair enough over overarching message. The execution is pretty bad, not least because it does the following things. It One goes, a vote for us is... Well, you know, if people vote for people other than us, Brexit might not happen. Two, if people vote for other than us, it will only advantage people like Nigel Farage who want to be on telly. Three, we're the only way you can vote for Brexit with a deal. Now, the problem is, is although all of those propositions are individually fairly popular in the country, right? No deal is not the most popular mm-hmm. option, a form of Brexit. And people who understand that are either lying or don't understand polling. But um, they're all popular with different sections yeah, of, of people. Yeah, lots of people don't like Nigel Farage. Lots of people don't like a second referendum. Lots of people are at least not actively hostile to the Conservative Party. However, the the Venn diagram they've just constructed there is a, is a hole. It, yeah. it does not exist. Love Brexit but hate Nigel Farage and like us, then you'll love the Conservative Party. Talking about smaller parties eating each other, the situation between the Brexit Party and UKIP is quite interesting. I was about to say, I'm about to say something that's in praise of Nigel Farage, but I'm not sure I actually am. But it does seem that he at least maintained some sort of seawall against the forces of absolute nutterism while he was in charge of, of UKIP. I mean, Gerard Batten was ultimately an MEP elected under Nigel Farage. I mean, it, it really but is he nutty himself or is he merely the gateway drug to proper cask strength nuttiness? No, I think ultimately the, the divide between Nigel Farage's UKIP and Nigel Farage's Brexit party and Gerald Batten's UKIP is purely about whether or not you make the subtext text. Mm, that's true, yeah. Yeah, Farage, I mean, Farage has openly talked about this, right? He's... he's his essential political insight was the, the reason why, you know, if you, if you look at kind of the attitudes that people who used to vote for the BNP hold about, you know, diversity, whether or not the death Islam penalty, is a popular, wogs, a, 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 yeah. is a problem, not a popular. And you then look at the chunk of the electorate, you go, oh, well, why is, why is the BNP only getting 2%, not 15%? And Farage's political success was founded on getting... That chunk of the electorate which which agrees with those sentiments but is revolted by the the BNP. The reason why lots of people who have left UKIP have done so is you know like you know in it, in, it, in its upper echelons is because they believe that Batten is you know, is you know systematically destroying all of the things they did to make UKIP respectable. I think the the thing I'm fascinated by and obviously it has had a massive assist from the press who have given Farage a lot of publicity. But he has been able to... Because obviously his challenge, right, is he doesn't want to actually use any bad nouns about UKIP himself, right? Because he wants the votes of people who think, you know, oh, God, I went to London, it's all Islamic. Mm. He wants the votes of those people. But he also wants the votes of people who don't like that sort of language. Who live in the home counties. Who live in the home counties. Yeah. And so his, his, his tactical problem in these elections was how do you kill uh, UKIP and keep their votes and also signal to, to those people over there that you are new and different and, and then it's not just that you're making the subtext, you're, you're keeping the subtext, subtext. Now, he's been helped by the BBC, but it is fascinating that if the polls are right, and one of the reasons why I am slightly dubious about the polls of the European election is, I mean, obviously he is a very talented political operator and he has got a big assist and a big platform from the media, but it would still be really remarkable if he had managed to 
quite so utterly knacker UKIP as a political force that quickly? Well, that to me is the interesting question because it's got a lot of repercussions going forward. Is that just as I think Change UK have suffered from the like building infrastructure is hard, just like getting your mailing lists up and running, like getting your procedures up and running, getting a constitution, all of that kind of stuff, which the Lib Dems, you know, whether or not you think they're still tainted or not by coalition, had a massive advantage in having all that institutional memory, like just knowing people who you know how to do things. It would be fascinating to see whether or not the Brexit party is a shell and whether or not that matters at the European elections. I suspect it matters far less at the European elections than it would at a local election, for example. But, you know, if he does well, it would be a remarkable achievement in the sense that he has kind of created a kind of phantasm and then got people to vote for it because it's got a label attached to it without having to do all that grifty work, you know, the grafty work rather than grifty work that we sort of associate with political parties. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the lesson lots of Conservatives will take from its success is, oh, we should be more like that. The reason why it's difficult for it to port over parking for a moment, or the reason why it's not desirable, is because, yeah, the reason why Brexit is a useful organising locus for the Brexit party is it, it cannot be enacted. It will always be betrayed. A negotiated Brexit is obviously a betrayal. A no-deal Brexit, the disaster is because of Whitehall or Remain ministers or et cetera, et cetera. You can always, you can always use it as an organising locus. The problem is, is that in a European election, they can actually make a virtue of their ideological diversity, right? It doesn't matter that you have the sister of Jacob Rees-Mogg saying, oh, I'm sure my brother would, would still like to vote, would, would ultimately like to vote for this party if, if he could. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, people who are on the left. It doesn't matter if you have people who have a record of supporting IRA bombing because you can go, the important thing is we're all, uh, get, we're all of you and democracy is being stolen. But the second that you are in a general election and you have to, yeah, and you're kind of we're of the opinion that democracy is being stolen is no longer your only Yes, shtick. what's the Brexit Party's view on the IRA bombings? What's the Brexit Party's view on the deficit? You know, all of that kind of stuff. It does begin to then at that point collapse like a souffle. That said, I am... There were many there were many takes after the 2017 election, which I found deeply wearisome. But I am enjoying people who kind of went, I don't understand why British voters didn't care all that much about Jeremy Corbyn and and the 1980s and the IRA suddenly going oh yeah you know very smooth rollout by by Nigel Farage it's just like well yeah I mean like you know Stephen Daisley wrote a, a piece in which he claimed that the reason why the young didn't care about it was because they were more obsessed with pronouns now I'm not convinced there was anything about pronouns in, in the Labour 2017 manifesto. I'm sure that Stephen will have read it and will be able to point to the relevant page but more importantly the one thing that we can say with absolute certainty, the whole of the electorate pretty much has demonstrated in England, is that it does not care about that, that issue, right? You only last week had someone on Question Time saying, oh, well, you know, give, give, Ireland, give, Northern Ireland back to the, give Northern Ireland back to the Irish if it's such a problem. And it is fascinating this way that like, it feels like different bits of the political class go, oh, we've memory hold that bit of Northern Ireland, but... I really hope that people would only do that when it was convenient to me. Yeah, it sort of weirdly gets treated as, as foreign policy, despite yeah. the sea being quite small and it being very close to Anglesey in a lot of ways. I think that's in as much local elections feedback as anybody can stand. Do you have any predictions for the European elections? 
Conservatives will do badly. That's the one I'm going to stick my neck out. It's a crazy little opinion, I know. Yes, it turns out that, yeah, it's shocking really, right? Political scientists get their grant applications turned down all the time, but you can spend how many million pounds to find what the Conservative core vote is, and no one bats an eyelid. So Conservatives will do very badly. I kind of think the Labour vote will probably hold up at about 20-odd percent of the vote, just because it kind of seems to... It does sort of feel that ultimately, like, that sort of subset of very angry Remainers, when they say they'll do anything to get Labour to back a second referendum, what they really mean is be deeply abusive to any journalist who says that Labour aren't going to back a second referendum and not do anything so gauche as to actually vote for another party. What I'm enjoying um, is that I'm getting a lot of sense here that you've got some some deep, deep beef that... Uh... I just, I am just kind of really tired of this, like, I mean, I can't remember who it was, but someone who works at a, a pro-EU think tank going I can't believe Labour's going to do this I will still vote for them but and it's just like well the point of a democracy right is your vote is the thing you negotiate with a political party with and a chunk of the country has decided and it doesn't want to have that negotiation but it wants one of the parties to act as if it is having that negotiation I'm sorry guys that's not how it works if you want a second referendum vote for it I mean, it's a crazy idea, I know. You know, Greens, I think, will do not as well as as they might hope from where they are now, because it just feels to me unlikely that they're going to get the media they, I would say, deserve, mm. given what happened last Thursday. I think change will underperform their polls quite badly, because they have no infrastructure. It's a, a second-order election. I simply do not buy them. The that name fit. is still very confusing. Yeah, I mean, I just think this thing... So my partner's got her postal vote through, and uh, obviously, you know, I, I looked at it to make sure she was voting the right way. I kid, I kid. Various parties have chosen to have, you know, UKIP, Dash, make Brexit happen. Yeah. Change UK, just Change UK, the independent group. Their free post hasn't dropped yet, right? They are a party which very bad... Like, I know this, this feels so crazy to uh, people who listen to this podcast and indeed to us, but most voters do not know what Change UK is. Mm. They think it's a petition website and they don't understand why a petition website is running for the European elections. Oh, yeah, I think that's one of the things, isn't it? The YouGov polling about who, which politicians people recognise pretty much gives you Prime Minister, Leader of the Opposition, and then and then you're in, like, single figures pretty much from, yeah. from then on down. Unless it's maybe Nigel Farage, Boris, Boris Johnson. Johnson. yeah. But... And then that's it. I mean, bad news for you, John Trickett, but no, it's just not happening. Well, we'll be back. Uh, the New Statesman Podcast Live is happening this week. There are still some tickets available if you are listening to this on Wednesday. If you listen to this on Thursday, then sorry you've missed it. You'll always be asked where you were, like it was that Woodstock. Uh, but, you know, you'll just have to save up some time and money for the for the next one. Good luck, Stephen. I know you didn't sleep very much. How was your, what was your sleep level compared to the glorious election of 2017? I think probably more. But So the, the, the reason why local elections are more difficult sleep-wise, particularly this set, right, is there aren't quite enough of them throughout the night. So you you, you you don't have periods of constant activity with a with say the Scottish and Welsh elections in 2016. You have this thing then it yeah where where Scotland mainly does overnight and Wales mainly does uh, throughout the morning and obviously the the list system happens over there. But it's really only when you're kind of finding out the last dehont consequential in Edinburgh that you suddenly go wow I haven't slept for 32 hours. That's why I feel sick. Um, I want the title of this episode to be The Last to Haunt the Consequential in Edinburgh. Um, it's like the lost Tom well, Clancy novel. But yeah, that kind of last bit of like additional member system working its way through. Whereas this one's much harder because there are much longer periods where you're going, I just need to wait till Devon and then I can sleep. I just <laughs> no, need to hold on. No sleep till Devon. Yeah, and also in an odd way, 
because this set of elections was surprising in terms of what the yardsticks that we kind of thought the various parties would do. And in terms of some of the coverage on our national broadcaster, they did weirdly seem to be surprised by what were fairly inevitable. But once you went, oh, right, well, if, if the Lib Dems are doing really well in all of their stretch targets, which were mostly the ones counting overnight, then the ones tomorrow, which they've gone, well, yeah, we, we expect to win that unless something disastrous has happened. Yeah, like you, you've definitely won that if you've won this. And so in an odd way, you didn't have that kind of like sense of, ooh, what's, what's happening to get you through the night? Yes, right. The Lib Dem stretch targets is what normally gives you the... It's your cocaine in a way, isn't it? The pure adrenaline of knowing... Of, no, of wondering, you know, who will... They, they've got Chelmsford, guys, they've got Chelmsford. Well, we'll be back next week. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call... You ask us! Indeed. The question that you've been asking us this week, probably prompted by many of Steve's... Um, Steve's? <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Who is Steve? <laughs> Little Stevie B. Many of Stephen's blogs about Change UK, which is, what does it take to succeed as a small party? Steve, what does it take? One of the really fun things, right, as someone who obviously at the start of my career at The Telegraph, uh, one of my main beats was, you know, kind of talking to the Lib Dem half of the coalition... These things that weren't particularly interesting colour at the time about what it's like to be a small party has somehow become uh, newly relevant because you have another one in many ways not doing lots of the things that one would regard as best practice. Now, of course, the central difficulty, right, and you can actually, you can, you can explain it through, through just one news story, which is the Gavin Williamson leak firing, right? Do you think he did it? <sighs> Probably. I mean, it feels likely, right? I mean, I just kind of think... You definitely know, think that he's the kind of person who, if they did elite, wouldn't get away with it. But then I was quite moved by his teary Instagram the day after of him apparently alone in McDonald's having a burger. <laughs> it was quite tragic. I thought Gabby Hinster's thread on, on how leaks often happen is... is an, yeah, it, it may well be that... Then, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't know who the leak was. So she said basically what happens often is political journalists, rather than going, going up, here, me old son, have you got any brilliant gossip for us? Yeah. Because they're apparently the artful dodger. They kind of go, I'm hearing that, you know, that there were discussions in cabinet over the Huawei thing and that quite a lot of people were, you know, really worried about giving a Chinese company access to our sensitive security infrastructure. Are all sort of semi-heavily implying that you know something. I, I hear lots of people spoke out against it in Cabinet so that people are worried that someone else, brackets, usually Michael Gove, is briefing the press. So actually, if they don't brief as well, then their side of the story won't get out, right? This was, this was her theory of how leaks happen. So they kind of end up being pieced together and no one really can be pointed to as the one that definitely said, I said this and that and the other. But it's kind of, you know, you've built up a kind of 
patchwork collage of impressions and then that from that emerges the story. Well also particularly because this is right a procurement decision that was known to be controversial was known to be happening etc etc there are loads and loads of things where someone can plausibly say well I didn't leak this just as I mean so there have been people from the Ed era who have written books in which they have claimed never to have licensed briefing <laughs> against their opponents, which, I mean, I'll be blunt, does not accord with my recollection of dealing with those people's staff. But I can also equally see how people can believe that the form of words where they go, we need to get our side of the story out about the need to have a, an in-out referendum and match the Tory offer, and we need... God, oh, don't remind me of that story. But, yeah, you know, yeah. but I can easily see how the instruction you give to someone... In your head, you can go, you you think you're not saying go and brief against the other side of this argument, but actually you are going go and brief against this side of the argument. I kind of think in another way, right, it's it's all sort of irrelevant in that it is atypical, except obviously mostly when this happens to whistleblowers, they, they do not have a 75k job to fall back on. But it's a typical example of how both the British state and the press covers whistleblowers, right, where you have an awful lot of character assassination, often justified of the individual whistleblower. The whistleblower's career takes an often fatal hit and very little discussion about the actual issue, the actual issue that has been raised by the leak. And I think there are like loads of... But that kind of comes back to one of the things I was thinking that was an alternate subject for you to discuss this week, which is about the failures of political journalism, because I'm giving a talk at the Reuters Institute in Oxford at the end of the month. And one of the things that I think it is the fact that we just, and this is a bias throughout all of journalism, we just find people much more interesting. I think the Liam Fox story, you know, like Liam Fox might allow someone on his staff to kind of improper access to staff is all a bit... Liam Fox travels everywhere and probably with his best friend, who is also his best man. People are like, hmm, what's that about? And and that just makes the makes the stories, you know, instantly much more interesting. And it's a really big problem for money stories because now the the way that mo- modern money laundering and financial crimes happen is they're enormous and huge, but also incredibly tedious and hard to find out and happen through shell companies and holding company things. And you know, and one thing owns another thing, buys another thing, lends money to another thing, and actually explaining them in a sentence is almost impossible. And it's a massive problem. I think for political journalism but anyway park that so what does the Kevin Williamson leak story tell us about small parties right so the Labour quote comes in last out of all of the opposition thing and very much so the thing Labour is trying to do and if you look at all of their quotes and they give it own you can is they're basically trying to go look they're not just incompetent over Brexit they're incompetent across the piece. So this is in every news story about Gavin Williamson. You have Gavin Williamson was today sacked as whatever, yeah. asked to resign. This is the reason, this is the reason why Jeremy Corbyn said, this shows why not only is Gavin Williamson a loser, but they're all losers and I hate them. Yeah, I think it was either Ian Lavery or Andrew Gwynn, but, but it doesn't matter, right? But And the thing is, right, it doesn't matter that their quote was essentially a, this thing reminds us why, insert our political priority is correct. Because what forces Labour into the story is they are the main opposition party Corbyn is plausibly going to be the next prime minister. You know, he only needs an 0.5 percent, you know, kind of teeny tiny swing to achieve it. Right. He he therefore his platform is by dint of what he he holds already. But also you can see it in the way that, for example, the Labour Party conferences got livelier immediately before 2015. They began to get a lot more interest from business because as soon as you become the prospective government in waiting, suddenly your opinion on stuff becomes really, really important to a lot of people. Yeah. They don't have to go, how can we make our quote as fun as possible? Just like, okay, well, what do we want out of this quote? What we want to do is go, he's a bit of a risk to national security and they're incompetent. The Lib Dem quote arrived first and was Vince Cable going, the Metropolitan Police should be involved. Other people weighed in behind it, but he was the first person to suggest that the Met should be involved. Now, from a kind of, you know, liberal perspective, I'm not 
personally not that sold on the idea that actually that is what the thing that immediately needed to happen was. But it showed the thing that you have to do as the third party, which is you have to escalate. Yeah, or you have to go funny, right? And you have to go, Gavin Williamson's tarantula won't be happy tonight, but that's because, you know, like all of the Tories, it eats flies. Yeah, so someone who used to work for for Charlie Kennedy once said, the thing with being the Dems is your quote has to force you into the story. Mm. Because unless it's a very rare thing, which is A, politically salient, okay, the Iraq war, basically the the obvious example, and B, where both the main parties agree your quote doesn't need to be in the story. So it really has to force its way in through being funny or carrying the story along or escalating it. I've never come strangely... What is the funny quote on Gavin Williamson? Come on, we can do this. I don't work for a small party. Why should I bother? So Um, come on, you've got to be able to have some spider lols here. um, Cronus, come on, it's Cronus... Is cronies, rhymes with cronus. You can do this, Stephen, I believe in you. I think maybe you just go from, like, you know, from the fireplace into the fire or some, you know... I suppose actually what you could now do really is just sit on Twitter for a bit and just harvest some lols from there. I was going to say that might lead to some press attention you don't want when it turns (laughs) out the Lib Dem press office is just stealing... Then the Change UK quote comes in, before the Labour quote, it must be said, from Mike Gapes, and it is a very, like, down the line, this raises questions, blah, blah, blah. And it's one of those things where I just... I mean, who cares? You're a parliamentary group of 11. And then, obviously, the Green approach is basically just to, like, go understandably go we own one issue and we're gonna stay very quiet other than not you know basically pop up and go climate change is still happening climate guys. change is bad right <laughs> yeah. um and you you see how these approaches do and do not bear fruit it obviously helped the greens in the locals and they would had this very favorable run-up and you had extinction rebellion you had greta but also they have successfully encoded in the idea of, of tv bookers commissioning editors okay right what's the easy go-to way of covering this get Caroline on. And it just meant that the Greens had slightly more media than they notionally should have from a from a their size perspective. Now, again, with the Lib Dems, because they are willing to say slightly kooky things from time to time, and I think actually one criticism, obviously, that I've made of Vince Cable in the magazine, I think, definitely on the website, is that unlike uh, Tim Farron or Clegg when he was opposition leader, he is a lot less willing to kind of go... Farm it out to the little guys. No, to go, I'm going to say something silly or yeah. outrage, like, you know, to kind of do oh, this. Wasn't there a Lib Dem MP that you pointed out was a, basically happy to have his name on any quote and they would just put it on? Well, they're just willing to just give quotes. I mean, so yeah, Tom Brake, who Tom um, Brake. That's like, is, is literally like my exemplar of, of what it is you have to be willing to put up with if you're the third party in a system like ours. Right? <laughs> yeah. People may not have heard of Tom Brake, but if you have, it's probably because of the video they did introducing their, at the time, nine-strong parliamentary party which has a scene in which Sarah <gasps> Olney is typing, yeah. sighs and goes, I need a break. And Tom Brake, <laughs> in a kind of slightly loose fashion, enters the camera stage left, goes, did someone say break? And she's like, yeah, not that sort of break. He looks disappointed and walks away. Now, this thing, like, Tom Brake is a man who, and also, like, yeah, this is someone who, like, has got up at, like, four in his marginal seat to do a media hit, to come back, to knock on doors in his... Like, if, if you're not willing, as the leader of a small party... To look, this like yeah. Obviously, Corbyn will occasionally is is willing to vamp it up, right, in some of his videos and kind of do the weird arched eyebrow thing. Oh, and he'll but, do the little like Morecambe and Wise dance thing. Yeah, but that. the the thing is, right, is 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 all of that stuff is a bonus for him, right? It's useful for Labour than than they have than they have any But you don't need to do it in the same way because you're the leader of the opposition. Your photos getting in there anyway, right? It's a bit like when everyone went. I mean, I thought it was particularly dull discourse when people went. Oh, but he's talking about the need for buses for public for buses when he's in another form of public transport. It's just, I mean, okay, 
But ultimately, he can have a photo of himself in a tram because he's the leader of the opposition. Tom Brake has to, like, be willing to pretend that he's, you know... He's going into a pedalo, basically. A deeply deeply undesirable man who, like, other people in the parliamentary party send away when he accidentally (laughs) mistakes things in order to have a brief moment of virality to introduce his party to people. And that is, I think, in microcosm, the the big problem that, that the smaller parties have and the others just don't have, right? We see it in our own in our own magazine, right? I feel that essentially almost every every week I kind of go, next week I hope to write about, you know, insert small parties here. I thought I would get to do that this week. Instead, I've been asked to do the Brexit talks. Clyde Comrie snuck in on one glorious week, but you're one. right, they do end up getting pushed to the silence. Okay, so that's it. So that's a lesson for the small parties. Go have better quotes fast... Be willing to be humiliated in viral videos and don't try and be funny about Gavin Williams' mistranscher because it turns out there simply isn't any humour there. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Helen Lewis, and my co-host, Stephen Bush. We're produced by Nick Hilton and our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra. If you become a New Statesman subscriber, then you'll receive a whole package of goodies. I mean, mostly the magazine, admittedly, but also Stephen's week ahead email, co-written with Patrick Maguire, who you'll also have heard on this podcast, giving you not only the best gossip about politics, but also cultural highlights of the weekend and often an improbable recipe by Stephen too, which uh, I've yet to cook one of, but look, always delicious. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.